Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And in today's episode, this is Current Events Monday, which means, of course, we're covering current events from a biblical perspective, talking about all sorts of different things. And today is is all about um, people uh, doing things to large corporations that are actually good uh, boycotts and and little victories, as Jacob is going to be getting into mm-hmm. today, and some of the significance of those victories and why we should take heart. Um, it's actually quite exciting, which will lead into my theological wrap-up, which is talking about uh, theologically why we should be very, very excited right now. Um, because we are not living in the end of days. We're not living in a period of time we should be panicked about. We are living in the millennial reign of Christ. We are living in the new heavens and the new earth. And we are looking forward to this earth being transformed in the image of God. And so we're going to be talking a lot more about that at the end of today's episode. So, all that being said, um, we're just, we have to, you know, before we jump into current events, I almost just literally jumped into current events. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) this is the reformed dissenters. (laughs) We have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. So before I move into current events, let's, uh, you know, let's do that first. Um, so our verse this week is first Corinthians chapter 15 verses 24 25 and 26, so three verses for our verse of the week segment. Yes, so last week, so we're making up for last week we and are. only have one in verse? Yep. yep. Gotcha. Last gotcha. week it was it was too spot on, like it was too good. So now we got to, you know, yeah. mess with our own system a little bit. So here we go. Let's mess with our system. <laughs> <laughs> so First uh, Corinthians 15, 24 through 26 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And again, that's First Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. So incredibly powerful passage. Um, if you weren't a post-millennialist before you read that passage, um, I don't know how you could not be one after reading it. <laughs> it is uh, just incredible the extent of the reign of Christ. And, and we see that here. Every rule, every authority, every power, everything being subjected to him. And what's fascinating here is this passage is quoting God's favorite Bible verse, which is Psalm 110, verse 1. Uh, he must reign till he's put all his enemies under his feet. Every enemy's been made a footstool for his feet, right? And then we find something fascinating at the end, which is that every enemy, and this list is extensive, included in this list is the enemy of death, which yeah. was part of the curse, Right. Our world was not meant to have death. So whenever, you know, someone's like, oh, death is just a natural part of life. We just should accept it. It's like, no, no, it is not. Um, death is is evil. Death is something that was never supposed to exist. Um, and so that will be the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Um, so we have that to look forward to. <laughs> so we're going to be talking a lot more about this 
passage about this verse um, throughout this week. So we'll kind of leave it at that. And I'll pass it over to Jake to jump into our current events for today. What you got, dude? Well, uh, the article I will be covering today is, well, the articles, the, the multiple, multiple of them, I will be covering today are, are pretty coincidental given our last Friday episode uh, where we talked about sports. Um, wow. This... This article is speaking about a protest that went on at a Dodgers game. Now, I am not much ah, yes. one for sports, but I do believe that is baseball, right? Oh, Isn't boy. I, yes, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, so. But, we are yeah. going to get ripped to shreds in the comments. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. <laughs> we, don't, but, we don't watch sports like that. So. No. no. Uh, first... I do have to, and and this is going to sound completely and totally random, but but bear with me. It will connect to the rest of the article. But first, we have to talk about who the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are. Lovely name. Very lovely name. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't tell by the name, um, first of all, it's sinful, wrong, evil, right? But also, if you notice the very first word, Sisters... Um, these are nuns. Um, these are, are cat- <laughs> right, right. These are, the are sisters sense are of the nuns um, who believe in transgendered rights. So they are not all wow. women. Uh, but Whoa, they have allowed men. Somehow I didn't. Somehow I missed that. Dang. I, yeah. I thought it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Wow. Well, um, and that's sort of a, a speculation, right, that, that not all of them are women because they would allow that, you know, they yeah. do allow that. And this is a large group, so there would have to be men nuns in there. So, wow. but so very in the very, you know, I said nuns in the loose sense of the word and very loose sense of the word. Yes, yes, yeah. Wow. Uh, which obviously does not work because nuns can only be female. That's literally mm-hmm. the, the name of the word. They're sisters, they're nuns, they're they're female um, yep. priests in a sense. Um, in a sense. I don't know fully Catholic religion, so if I offended yep. some Catholics by saying that, I'm sorry. Um, but now I want to point out, here's some good things. I do want to point out that many Catholics, uh, as you will see later on, do not like the Sisters of Satan. I mean, the Sisters of per- Perpetual Indulgence. Um, <laughs> and they don't, they don't like allowing men to be nuns or, or sisters because they know it does not. Wait, that's what? not, that can't be allowed. Uh, the article or the event that occurred was at a Dodgers game, as I mentioned before. And before the Dodgers game started, there was supposed to be a pride rally or or I think I think it was a, an award ceremony that they were that the Dodgers or something or some some group was giving an award to the Sisters of Satan. Dang, I did it again. <laughs> um <laughs> You gotta uh, got stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um the Catholic for Catholics group is it's it's a group. Uh that's their name. Catholic the Catholic The Catholic for oh. Catholics. Um, but in, in an article that they wrote, they told the public they would be protesting this event. They would be protesting against, against the sisters of Satan. I mean, indulgence. Um, but 
You got to write that down in your notes or something. I do. I do. Those Freudian slips just keep on happening to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, they wanted to stop them. You know, not stop, but they, in a sense, they would want it to stop. But they're there to protest it. They're there to push against it. Um, And there was a lot of controversy um, that was going on that I heard. And I don't bring this specifically up. Uh, because I was reading through the articles and I didn't see much of it, but I heard some rumors, some things, so this is not necessarily fact, but um, I think there was something of where the Dodgers were first going to allow these people to protest this, and then there was a back and forth because the Sisters of Satan, I mean Indulgence, um, didn't want it or and, and stuff, and there was a back and forth, much like the whole Target debacle, but um, yeah. I won't specifically go into that, but I thought this was very interesting. And now the article I was reading said that the that there was over 2000 people, 2000, 2000 Catholics. And I don't know if all of them were Catholics because they literally in the article, the Catholic for Catholics group said that anyone is allowed to join in our protesting. We're not for we're not saying that only Catholics can be here, but anybody can join in the protesting which makes sense. They would want more people to just come in. If they agree with you, then keep going. Um, But there were over 2000 protesters going against, uh, going against this event. Yeah. At, at this Dodgers game um, from the Catholic group and, and the, the protesters signs, I really think like on, in the articles, there were a few pictures, right? Showing the signs that they held up. And I thought they were decently good. A, a lot of protesting signs are very pithy and like just yeah. trying to trying to bring a big, large. Yeah, there's only so in, much you can get yeah. on a small so, side. Right, exactly. So they are the typical size for a sign. So they can't fit much. But some of them, some of them had verses on them. Um, wow. uh, one of them was, uh, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hmm. Um, was one of them, and so and then the other other ones saying um men can't be sisters slash nuns, uh, other signs saying that you know so it was very very good, but this leads me into my slightly theological warm up. Uh, so I'll slightly warm the waters so <laughs> that when Bruce starts the boiling, it will not feel like a boil. <laughs> and oh um, boy, is it gonna be a boil today? <laughs> But, you know, we've we have talked about before that the us at the TRD show are very post millennial people. And therefore, we have an optimistic attitude about the future. Bruce Mm. will go more into depth as to what that means. But in this society, the current the the amount of pre millers and I don't know if that is a word, but at this (laughs) but it gets the point across. So I will continue. Um, But the number of people with a pessimistic attitude is very high, very very high. And for many people, for many of those people, they are pessimistic because of the current state of the world of of our of our world. For most Christians, seeing past the sin and issues of this world is is very hard. But there lies a problem. There's a problem with that. Because by saying that, by saying you don't think you can have an optimistic view of the future because Mm -hmm. of the current issues you see, you can never see any of this being fixed, is you saying that God doesn't have the power to fix it. 
Yeah. Is you saying that the that instead of trusting what the Bible says and trusting the power of God, um, you assume that this world is so bad that God does not have the power to fix it. So I want to briefly talk about how not only does the Bible disagree with the pessimistic view of the future, which I will not speak to this fact of the Bible disagreeing. That will be more gross. But um, I want to bring out that not only does the Bible disagree, but also God in his working in this world today has brought it to the point where we can see minor victories that should point us to optimism that through that, that not only does the Bible show you that a pessimistic attitude is, is not warranted, but also if you just look at what's going on in the world, you can see that there are minor victories, small little victories happening that will slowly lead into larger victories. And that should push us to an optimistic attitude. So first, I want to point out, and I have three, three, um, three events that recently happened that should show this. But one even bigger one is Roe v. Wade. I, I do not even touch on that one. So that's technically four. So the overturning of <laughs> Roe v. Wade is, is a fourth. But and we, we should mention that we are filming, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time. We're actually recording this on the anniversary of the overturning of the worst judicial decision in oh, really? history. We're recording this on June 24th, uh, 2023, mm. which is yeah. the anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually incredible, um, incredibly timed. So yeah, we're, yeah, we put out a post uh, this morning on our social medias celebrating Life Month, celebrating the anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So all of that is there as well. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Like that, That's a big one. Right, but yeah. I, I don't even cover that <laughs> as my as my as my three, right? Wow. So, barring that one, there are three more. Yeah. First, I want to point out the Bud Light controversy, and with this, I want to show what should we consider as a victory, and in a sense, I want to show what do we consider as a minor victory. We should see the standing up of people against evil in a semi-successful way to be victorious. And because we know that God is going to use that, going to use that good to further the kingdom. So we should take similar wins to empower and encourage us to push further. So through the Bud Light debacle, uh, we can see that victory through people, and we can see that victory through people standing up to evil. Um, and again, to go directly back to what that controversy was, is that Bud Light did a thing, did, uh, an advertisement that was, that supported a transgendered person and everybody boycotted, um, Bud Light because of that. They stopped going, they stopped buying Bud Light, they stopped drinking Bud Light, they stopped. And we saw that Bud Light sales, their sales went down extremely. Uh, So I consider that a victory. Uh, But second, I discussed last, I discussed where Target wanted to indoctrinate children last week. I discussed that, that article 
Was that last week? Yeah, that was yeah, last week, right? It was. Yeah. A lot's happened, but yeah, that was last week. Mm-hmm. But people stood up against the evil and said no, which was which was against creating, which, sorry, which created another minor victory, right? We It went back and forth so much that that the evil was getting mad at Target because they came too far to our end, our side. So, so, and again, I consider that another victory, another minor yep. victory Amen. that we should consider a good thing. Mm-hmm. Lastly, third is the instance which I was speaking about today. And specifically, Catholics were not happy about another example of evil creeping into their worship, right? This is, the Catholics have a very specific way that they worship, and by what the the Sisters of Satan, I mean indulgence, were doing, (laughs) they were creeping into, they were putting their evil into their way of worship. So, they pushed back. They did not like that. Yep. And I consider this a third minor victory. So... From all this, I want to give it over to Bruce to show the nitty-gritty of what it means to be <laughs> post-millennial. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. And yeah, all of that is it's absolutely incredible. We as, as human beings, unfortunately, tend towards pessimism, which is why the Bible is chock full of reminder after reminder after reminder for us not to be pessimistic to be hopeful. So I've titled this theological wrap-up, The Future Belongs to the King of Kings. We live in a society where everything has been flipped on its head. I mean literally everything. Rather than Christians being the ones full of joy, hope, and fruitfulness, the world now embodies twisted and perverted versions of these sentiments. And Christians now constantly walk around afraid that the end of the world is nigh. I mean, seriously, that, that like what Jacob was saying earlier, that is so prevalent. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and the unfortunate thing is that we panic about every little thing like, Oh, this is the, Oh, the rapture is going to happen and all this stuff. Right. We've twisted our theology and allowed the world to commandeer the hope we have in Christ. Quote, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 13. This passage has been relegated to a small section of our lives that no longer pushes us to transform the societies we live in. We see this biblical message of hope as something that doesn't necessarily need to drive us to Christianize the world around us. And if some of our brothers and sisters in Christ want to make America Christian again, that's the Mecca. Um, Gay Branch on the Cross Politics show is always pushing that. It's it's hilarious. Um, but they sell hats now that have Mecca, make American Christian again, which is cool. <laughs> um, and if someone wants to do that, if we are talking to a Christian brother and they're like, yeah, we, we need to make America Christian again, we push back and we're like, mm, we complain that they're getting too political or something we'll come up with some excuse to not have to work. So there's that. Or worse, I I think it's worse. Some people even give lip service to Christ being Lord of all, 
right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, but they have no idea what the Bible says about running societies. How do we actually structure our society in a biblical way? Or mm-hmm. they fail to preach on it on Sunday entirely. They just completely don't even talk about it. Like, it's just, well, uh, let's just talk about the basic limited salvation message, and that's it. And I think that one is is quite prevalent because yep. we in in because people see throughout the Bible, especially pastors who look throughout the Bible, they see language of Christ being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They see yep. that language of Christ being King of it all, and so they they are like, yeah, okay, was we have to agree to this because the Bible says this, yes. <laughs> But yeah. we don't want to look any further as to what that right. actually means. Because if we do, dang it, then I got to change the way I live. Dang it, mm-hmm. then I can't go into debt because the Bible says the, the borrower right. is slave to the lender. Dang it, then I can't send my kids to the government school to be indoctrinated all day long. Dang it, then, then I have to, to live sermons. Yeah. Then you had right. to preach sermons that actually would actually be um, convicting <laughs> your congregation <laughs> instead of just letting yeah. them sit there and, you know, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's my first section. Next, this I want to move into, I've titled this Christ is King. So this is going to be the opposite of those who give lip service to it. I want to actually talk about what that means. Um, What does it mean that Christ is King? It's a simple statement, but how do we know what it means? Before I can answer that, though, I have to back up and explain this notion of Christ being king here on earth right now. <clears throat> this didn't used to be a foreign concept. In fact, during the American War for Independence, the cry commonly heard was no king but Jesus. That was the cry on the battlefield. That was the cry in political circles in earlier days of America. No king but Jesus. This was common. All throughout history, we find examples of good rulers recognizing that their authority was derived from Christ, which meant they were his servant, a minister of God for the people's good, to quote a certain well-known passage. So, but how can this be? How can it be that Christ is king? How can it be that the nations should serve him? How can it be that the rulers get their authority from Christ? I mean, isn't Satan the God of this world, as we hear so often from other circles. Uh, Isn't Christ's kingdom something that's not of this world? We'll hear that Mm. quoted out of context again. Aren't we told all over the place in scripture that this world is not our home? So how, how could this possibly be true, what you're saying, Bruce? This is insanity. To understand those passages and those ideas, which are actually ripped out of context, we have to put them back in context. So to understand those passages, we have to understand the central message of Scripture from the Old Covenant to the New. Enter Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, I title as the introduction to the reign of Christ, introducing us to this idea of Christ being king. Psalm 2 is probably one of the clearest passages expressing the kingship of Christ over all things. It begins by informing us that the rulers of the earth have been petulant children for thousands of years and didn't just become this way when fake President Biden was propped up at the White House podium. Uh, They want to disobey God at every turn and refuse to follow his perfect law. Mm -hmm. We know this. We see this every day, right? 
if we watch the news, which why are you still watching the news? But if you watch the news, <laughs> then that's what you see, right? But the, the funny thing is, and I do mean funny, God's response to this is laughter. <laughs> he looks at their blatant disobedience and their folly, and he laughs. But not because what they're doing is trivial or trivial or condonable. Not because it's just like, eh, whatevs, I don't care. Not because of that. But because he has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. In verse 8, God speaks of Christ and says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. End quote. This passage ends with a warning to the kings of the earth. Quote, now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, end quote. This verse speaks volumes, and I hope you all can see that. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. God laughs because his king is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he rules over all. Notice, though, that God, speaking to Christ, says he will make the nations your heritage. So I guess that means it's sometime in the future, eh? Like, oh, that's interesting. He will make the nations Christ's inheritance. He will make the ends of the earth his possession in the future. That's interesting. I wonder what the time frame is there. So hold that thought. We're going to come back to that in a second. Before we answer that question, I'd like to share one more passage just to let the extent of Christ's kingdom really sink in. This is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. Um, that's why everybody kind of calls it God's favorite Bible verse. It's Psalm 110, verse 1. And it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110, verse 1. This is going to come up later, so hold on to that. Now, to kind of start to pull all of these threads together, we have to talk about the fact that the cross was Satan's greatest defeat. The cross mm. was Satan's greatest defeat. That's why the, I love that the movie Nefarious makes reference to that as well, um, which is really cool. So from the third chapter of Genesis, the world has been expecting something big to go down. Something big is, is going to happen. We've been expecting that since Genesis 3. The crushing of the head of Satan was increasingly expounded on the closer we got to the entrance of our Lord and Savior into this world. So as the Bible progressed, we started, the picture started to get a little less fuzzy. Each chapter, we got closer to Christ. Finally, in the most unlikely of ways, uh, unless of course you're watching your old covenant laws very carefully, Christ bound the strong man and is now in the process of drawing all men to himself, John 12, 32. Satan is no longer capable of deceiving the nations, but rather all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, Matthew 28. So that's the turning point. That's the pivot point. And it means so much more than modern day evangelifish want it to mean. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we're given a glimpse into the throne room of heaven, which is really exciting, around the time of Christ's ascension, and it should fill us with an unspeakable hope. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, 
there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So the ascension of Christ was a coronation of a king. Jesus Christ was defeated. The accuser, um, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ defeated the accuser and took his possessions, Matthew 4, 8 through 9. The kingdoms of, (laughs) yeah, right. The kingdoms of the world belong to Christ and all their riches are flowing to him now. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And with all this authority and power, our King has commanded us to go and disciple the nations, not just people, not just individuals here or there, no entire nations, not of our own power, our own might, not at the end of a barrel of a gun, not through the sword, not through weapons of warfare, but through weapons of peace, through the spiritual weapons, which have the ability to destroy strongholds, right? It is a war, it is a battle, but it's not a physical war, physical battle, even though it has physical ramifications. This is a spiritual war and we don't fight it using the weapons, the carnal weapons of this flesh. But through the weapons of Christ, he is king. We've been told to teach the nations how to follow him, right? It's not like we're uh, running a campaign to get Christ elected as, as king of the earth. No, right. he, he's already king of the earth. We are going and reminding the nations of that fact and telling them, hey, guess what? There's a king above you. Just thought you should know. And oh, by the way, here's what he tells you to do. So lastly... I want to come back to that Psalm 110.1, like I said I would earlier. His enemies are being made his footstool. His enemies are being made his footstool. Finally, we come back to Psalm 110.1, which is God's favorite Bible verse. We see the ultimate fulfillment of this passage explained in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through, through 26. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Sounds familiar, right? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That should fill you with hope. That is the message of hope that we've forgotten today. I'll leave you with two more passages that are of the same nature. Ephesians 1, 19 through 22 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, to the church. Finally, the ultimate, uh, if you will, from bottom to top of a nation. Now, a passage that speaks directly to the top of a nation. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the Bible is full of hope. It's a message of the curse of sin, of sadness, and then a promise of hope in the future, a promise of the kingdom of God spreading across the whole world and peace and righteousness and true justice going forth everywhere. And then a wondering about when this is going to happen. And then in the strangest of ways, all of that wondering comes to fruition in Christ. And we see it's so much greater than we ever thought it would be. And then, and then we see Christ reigning and we're told to go therefore and disciple the nations. And we're told that we're not doing this alone. We're not doing this of our own power. We're doing this through Christ, the word of God, and the fact that he has the nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession, and that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So let's get to work. Let's go, therefore, and disciple the nations. That, in a nutshell, is the message of postmillennialism. Anything you'd like to add, Jake? Well, I want to tie it right back to what I was saying in that Go for we see this through through all of the things that I mentioned, but specifically that Roe v. Wade in, in that we're seeing these victories. What, what Bruce was exactly talking about in how we will be victorious, we're, it's not just a thing we have to hope for in the future. Yes, we do hope for it in the future, but it's something we see currently today. We just have to look for it. We just have to see it. Yep. Amen. Absolutely. And I think you did a great job pulling in all those real world examples and we could pull in hundreds more. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jake, for all the effort you put into this. This was tremendous. And uh, thank you all in the audience so much for watching or listening to us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget our show website is trdshow.net. That's trdshow.net. You can go to trdshow.net slash episodes to watch all of our episodes for free. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again, and uh, we will see you on Wednesday when we break down the next four, that's right, four chapters, final chapters in our book, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Magician's Nephew. So super excited about that. And until then, remember everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.